amazing. Um, and Bong, I know that you're from the Philippines, and uh, to hear you pray for your the fellow countrymen. Yeah, we've talked about it a little bit that um, that it's a strange feeling. They're so far away, and we have a unusual Sunday today too. If you, you haven't noticed, we have this. Uh, this mission market out there, and I mentioned it a couple of times, but it might make might help if I explained why we have the mission market. Um, it's it's not just for the purpose of having a petting zoo at church, although that is a really great idea. I think that that might be a reg, we, uh, uh, official mascot. We could debate about which animal we would choose for this church, but um, we the, each one of these uh, mission opportunities out here in the courtyard represents a different. Each one has a different gift that you can buy for Christmas. And I don't know if you've gone to the store. Has anyone been to Ralph's lately and heard Christmas music already? Um, I get it. You all go to Vaughn's. But I, I, I go to Ralph's, um, and I hear Christmas music there. And I found myself already whistling uh, Christmas music as I was uh, in the store. And I kind of liked it. Usually I'm annoyed when, when Christmas starts too soon. I kind of liked it. And uh, in a way, Christmas starts today here uh, as well. Um, because we are going to be encouraging every single person here to buy your first Christmas gift. And uh, you may have not thought that what your nephew really wants is a sheep for a native community in another country, but that's exactly what your nephew or niece wants. I guarantee you. Just just try it out and see what they say. Um, but, uh, but really, we do want to thank all the mission partners who've come, who've worked so hard to make this a special Sunday. And uh, we know uh, that one of the things you can do if you don't have money, uh, you can go to the mission market, visit the booth, and you can actually fill out an order form uh, so that you can order one of the items for the mission market. So it's actually a pretty, it's a pretty exciting Sunday. So today I just wanted to throw out, uh, I mean, this text that we're looking at is a great text. Um, I want to set the scene a little bit for you. As Reverend Griffiths talked about a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus is going to Jerusalem uh, in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, you should almost think of Jesus going into the heart of darkness, into the place of darkness and bringing the light, the heart of all the corruption and all of, uh, a, a lot of darkness. So I could go on and on, but, but just to sense that Jesus is going to this place to bring the good news to Jerusalem. And he has been in the temple. He has been teaching uh, for... We, we don't know exactly how long, but he's been teaching for a little bit about a, a little bit of time. And as he's teaching, imagine Jesus is uh, giving the sermon in here. Or, or, and actually, he's probably sat down when he did sermons. Did, did you know that? That that was the, the traditional Jewish way of teaching. They would sit down and they would teach. So he's probably sitting down. And, um, and imagine someone just starts over in the corner of the room, starts saying, hey, wow. Uh, and I don't know if anyone would really do this. Look at the amazing chandeliers in here. Aren't they beautiful? Uh, I mean, real crystal. Uh, uh, and, and look at the molding of this room. I love, I love this uh, finials. Or I don't really know that architecture that well. But you get it. Someone starts talking. Oh, look at these beautiful windows over here. And it does start to get a little bit distracting. If, uh, look at the fancy TVs might be more modern, right? Look at these great, huge, huge plasma televisions. I'd love to have one of those in my living room. Maybe that's what, what, what would happen today. And, and it was distracting. And Jesus, I love the way Jesus responds. It's not the way you'd ever expect Jesus to respond. You know, if you ever said, okay, here, we're going to give you a side-by-side scenario. This is what happens. What, which way do you think Jesus would respond? I bet we would be wrong ni- like 90% of the time. It's always the time that you'd least think, way you'd least expect Jesus to respond to a situation. This is what happens. And let's listen to the way that Luke talks about this scene that takes place. He says, when some were speaking about the temple... 
how it was ordained with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another and all will be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will this be? I'm sure they didn't want it to happen right away because they were inside the temple, so maybe that was part of it. When will this be? Can you let us know so we're not here on here to worship that day? Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And then, of course, he doesn't answer their question. He, he comes in with another answer. He says, and he said, beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, he said, and say, I am he, and the time is near. Have you heard of those people that they come and they say, I am the second coming of Jesus Christ? One of the people that comes to mind is David Koresh, who, who claimed that he was Jesus. Um, uh, and... and that's confusing. Let's not get into that. Anyway, so the, he said, the time is near. Have you heard people say, oh, I know exactly. It's the Mayan calendar. That's when, the, that's when it's all going to happen. Uh, people saying that they know when the date is coming for a given thing that God is going to do in this world or, or, that it's gonna, or at least a thing that's going to happen that leads toward God's, uh, God's plan being realized. So he said, don't go after those people. So just as a reminder, next time you hear someone saying, I am Jesus or look at me or they're saying... Uh, or they're saying, the time is near. You should have this little voice of Jesus in, in your heart and in your head. He says, also, when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't be terrified, for these things must take place first. But the end will not follow immediately. He's giving us a little bit of shape to what's happening. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But, he says, before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. I love what he says here. This will give you an opportunity to testify. What an optimistic response, right? (laughs) This will give you, this is a great opportunity. This I kind of like, uh, if you hang around me a little bit, I'm a little bit like that. <laughs> I'll, tell you the, I'll tell you the opportunity when you show me the problem. But Jesus had, had a response, so I feel a little better, not like a solution guy. So this will give you an opportunity to testify. Then he says, so make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. So how many times do you that think, I wish I'd said that. You ever think of that? I, I know what I'll say to that person. No, he says, he says, make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words, words from Jesus. The words will come from Jesus. I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. Wait, those things don't go together very well. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. I want to focus in on this idea of distraction that's happening and the way Jesus is addressing the distraction. This this tour guide or whoever it is that's walking through as Jesus is teaching, 
is looking at the temple and saying, what a grand, majestic place this is. Now, just to give you an idea, I, I couldn't even communicate to you all of the ways in which this temple is majestic because I kept reading and reading and reading, and all of the commentators would go on and on about how beautiful this temple was. To, to get the long and the short of it is, this isn't the original temple. Herod had built an even bigger temple. He decided to upscale. He pimped that temple. Now, that, that's not as vulgar a term as it sounds. But he, it, it means when you take a car and make it really nice. But he made that temple bling. Okay, that's probably more appropriate. Still bad. To give you an idea, that this temple had giant doors that were covered in gold. Giant doors. I'm even taller than this room. Big, big doors that were covered in gold. That would make you want to look at them and, and kind of gasp a little bit. This temple had stones that... that one of the great historians talks about as being like 30 cubits long. And I, I kind of wanted to tell you that the stones were that big, but I couldn't even imagine that the stones were that big, that one stone could be that big. A cubit is like this. This temple had these giant stones that were white. They were gleaming white. And even some of those stones, um, because the temple has been destroyed, I, I hate to tell, it, tell you, but the temple was destroyed only 60 years after Jesus had said this. And... And the um, and the, the the stones are some of the stones are still there as a part of the wall um, that that holds up the Temple Mount now. And and to give you other ideas, there there was great craftsmanship and great carving. And so imagine going into the most beautiful building that you can imagine. But but the other thing about this temple is it held a lot of identity for people. It was the center of the Jewish universe. It was the center of the universe for the people that he was talking to. It was the place of the law. If you think about it, the, the, the law came from this place. This is where the, the law was mediated and governed. This is the place of, of, this is the place that made you feel that you were in a specific or given place that, that gave you a sense of where you were. Now I tried to think of a place that would be similar to us, similar for us. And I thought, at least on a national level, at least on a, on a U.S. level. Imagine that, imagine that someone came along and said, all of Washington, D.C. will just disappear into the ocean. All of the buildings will just become rubble and they will be nothing. And, and, you, and all the government buildings to that extent. And there would be this sense of, wow, if we don't have a capital and we don't have, a, if we don't have this, this, these buildings, what, what, will make us a, what will make us a nation? What will make us... Americans, we don't have a place of meeting like this. We don't have a Congress. Not perfect analogy, but can you imagine if, if you heard that news, that all of, all of those buildings, or just think about that thing in your life that, that is that centering place, whether it's even your office building. Maybe for you, it's more important that your big office building downtown or even your small office is there, but that just being turned into rubble. Now, years ago, I had the opportunity to start a, a new church development with my brother. And uh, it was in Paso Robles. Do you know where that is? It's a, it's a horrible place to start. It's just wine country. I mean, it's just endless vineyards and, uh, and horses and, and wonderful people. And uh, it, you get it. It's, it's awful, right? Near the beach, uh, it, it was torture. Uh, so they, they had this, um, we, this church that we started in a the movie theater. And it was amazing to see every single, we started to realize a pattern that every single week, seven people would come to the church and not leave. In other words, a bunch of people would come and, <laughs> I don't like this church, I'm out of here. But seven people, and it would happen, and it happened for a year. That was pretty amazing. And then it happened another year and another year. And it was this ex- incredible, amazing ex- experience to see the way in which people were responding to the gospel. And they were so excited about the gospel 
that right away they were saying, we need to build a church building because we were in a movie theater. And so the plans were, were talked about. We started to, to discuss what this church would, church building would look like. We'd have meetings, and, and we would start to figure out how we could invest our, our finances, which was a good thing. We really felt that this, this church needed a building. And actually, I still think that it was a good decision to go forward with the building and to make the building. That was a great thing. But there was this moment when, when Graham called me from the coast, and he, he used to go over 20 minutes to Cambria. Do you know where that is? Uh, Cayucas and Cambria. There's little beautiful beaches there. So he'd take his daughter, and they'd make sandcastles. I can't wait to do that with my daughter. And they would make these sandcastles, and one day he called me from the beach, and he said, you know what? I did, we spent all day making this sandcastle. It was so much fun. And at the end of the day, the waves came in, and they washed the sandcastle away. And he said, you know what I realized is that as much as we're getting involved in this building, we need to remember that the buildings that we build are these sandcastles in, in contrast to what God's majesty is and what God's plan is in, in this universe. And, and a, after that experience, I, I still, we still went ahead with the building project and we still made the building, but the building didn't have this sense of, oh, we were creating some kind of permanent centering for all of God's faithful people in the world. Instead, we put it in perspective. And it was after that experience that I would hear people say, well, what if this falls apart? And what if this falls apart? What will happen then? What if a denomination falls apart? Will everything be okay? And the reality is that these systems, these, these pieces of paper, these ways that we've, these things that we've put together, I hate to tell you, they're all sandcastles. They're all sandcastles. Even this building is just a sandcastle because in the year 8,000, it's pretty likely that this thing will have fallen apart. I don't know, but I just want to let you know, though, that that, that is the sense of surprise that people thought of when they heard that the temple was going to fall apart. That And actually, it wasn't falling apart. It was destroyed in a very violent way. But nonetheless, the result was that it wasn't this permanent thing that people had thought it would be. And so Jesus definitely leans on this on this element of not being distracted. And I want to pull out three small points that I think you can remember out of this passage because at first I didn't think all of these things were connected. And I, I really try not to make them connect if they're not connected. But I do think they are connected. These different things that Jesus addresses, I think that they're connected in this way. I think he says, look at that. He says, avoid people who say, look at that. Meaning, look at that building. Look at that. Now, and now imagine in terms of not looking at Jesus, turning their focus away from Jesus, and looking at the building, the architecture, the stones, the gifts that were dedicated to God, rather than God himself. He says, he's warning people to avoid uh, following people who say, or getting sucked into the look at me syndrome. If someone is saying, look at me, or even if you start to find yourself saying, look at me, then you need to be really careful, Jesus says. He says, that that's not what we're talking about. And then the last one is look, people who say, look out with a big exclamation mark. Look out! An earthquake! It's all over. Maybe this is not where we should have placed our faith. I want you to think about, again, in your family or whatever it is, about those things that are the center of your world or the center of, of your universe. Because in, in very much so, the temple was the center of the, the Jewish universe. And Jesus was presenting this concept that, that, that this may not exist anymore. And they were thinking, well, what will our faith be if that's not there anymore? What is the focus 
of your faith. Now, one of the things I, I thought was really, have you heard about this, SpaceX? These new space planes that Richard Branson has, um, has created. I feel like that's probably the most amazing thing that I've ever heard, that commercial space travel, that, that people can just buy a cheap $250,000 ticket uh, to fly on this plane. And they can experience weightlessness, and probably they get free coffee. I don't know. I mean, and, uh, and of course, you have Justin Bieber, who's already bought a ticket, uh, and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio for that, those first flights. This is like a combination of a look at that and a look at me, isn't it? It's all of it together. I just wonder when they get up there, when they get up to that, that view, and they're looking out over this beautiful earth, will they be thinking, wow, look at what I've done. Look at me. Will they be thinking, wow, look at this technology. Look at how this technology has really, uh, has really come along. Or will they be thinking, wow, look at God. Look what he's done for us. Look at Jesus Christ. This is, this is the scope of the mission that, that God has for us. Some of these people could literally say, look at what God has given me the opportunity to do. Each one of those people can speak to the whole world almost. They act or they sing or they create a business. All of those people have this world influence and, and they have the opportunity to take that influence and they have opportunities to point to Jesus. So easy to say what other people should do, isn't it? Let's go back to the verse a little bit where Jesus says, Beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he. And the time is near. Do not go after them. Now, it's tough when you're trying to find real-world examples of these people without throwing a bunch of people under the bus. Um, but that's exactly what I'm going to do right now. Not really, but, but there's some people. <laughs> do you think this would be a great, great reality show? Tony Robbins, P. Diddy, and Kim Kardashian. But really, these are, these are people that I, I think of. I haven't yet seen them point to Jesus Christ. I haven't yet seen them say, look at Jesus Christ and don't look at me. But, but I, it's horrible. I, let's move on. Let's find someone who has. I can't really bring light and goodness into this. But let's, I just want you to think about that next time you're looking at someone to follow with your life. Someone, someone you want to model your life after. Someone that you're thinking, oh, you know, that's a good person. Or I really admire the qualities of that person. Or the person is saying, follow me. Jesus, don't be led astray by people who are saying, look at me. Or essentially, I am he. They're saying, I'm God. I'm Jesus. Look at me. I'm the, I should be the center of your faith. I should be the center of, of whatever you're doing with your life. Now, I, I, can't, I don't want to say that that's all these people are doing, but it's just, it's just supposed to come into your mind. Now, check this out. Have you guys heard of Kurt Warner? Now, I'm not saying he's perfect either, but Kurt Warner is a football player. I, I guess he did a pretty good job in, in 2009. Uh, made it to the Super Bowl. He won the Super Bowl, right? Am I... He was MVP, so I think he won the Super Bowl. I always watch the ads when it comes to Super Bowl. I don't care about it. It's football at that point. Up to it, it's good. College ball is the way to go, in my opinion. Um, little little messages, sorry. Um, so so he said, this is what he said after he won the conference championship. So this is an interview of Kurt Warner. Actually, here, I'm going to go back, you, give you some time, turn on some audio back there. You guys ready? All right, here's, this is what he said at the conference championship. Kurt Warner! 
Well, uh, you're not going to like this, but you're the third oldest quarterback to ever play in the Super Bowl. How does that make you feel? <laughs> you know, I just, you know, everybody's going to be tired of hearing this, but I never get tired of saying it. There's one reason that I'm standing up on this stage today. That's because of my Lord up above. I got to say thanks to Jesus. You knew I was going to do it, and I got to do it. Okay, so so the point here is uh, there, you could have all kinds of problems with what just happened there in terms of, of, of his, his announcement. But this is what I think his experience might have been. I think for that moment, and, and I've seen other football players do it too, I think for that moment he was sensing the whole world looking at him. And he decided that that was the moment that he needed to change it around and he needed to say, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. So that's a, that was one of, I think that's a beautiful moment in his life. And you know, we, when we do that, there can't be anything really wrong with that, I think. I think that there can't be anything really wrong with the way that you do that. Don't be shy about saying, look at Jesus at any point in your life. Now, this is what Jesus says after he keeps going on. He says, when you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. But the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. Do you ever look at something that happens in the Philippines or think about the people in the Philippines? who are going through such tragedy and devastation in their world. And, and do you think they might be sitting there and thinking, where's the good news in this? Where's God in all of this devastation and tragedy? And, and you may even be thinking about the times in your life when you've been the most afraid. And it may be something that's happening in your family. It may be something at work or at school. Or it may be some, some international thing that's happened for you. What, are, what is the place that you've been most afraid in your life? And Jesus wants to let you know that, that these things will happen. He's not making them happen, but he's, he's saying that these things will happen. They will take place. And, and that I love the way that Jesus says about these things. The, these things will happen, but you're going to have an opportunity to see Jesus in the midst of that. You're going to have an opportunity to know that Jesus is at work and that Jesus has a greater plan for, for your life. And he has, a, he has a final destination point for you and for all of us that is redemptive and beautiful. Jesus, uh, I, I wanted to just kind of throw this image out. When you are in the midst of a terrible tragedy in your life, such as the one that happened in the Philippines, I want you to think that God is greater and bigger than that times ten. There's, there's this sense that when you see the world split open and the earthquakes come and the famines and the plagues, there's this sense that sometimes creeps into our mind that, that maybe God's not big enough to meet this challenge. Or that God isn't big enough to, to, to somehow bring good out of what is happening. Whether it's a war or a plague or a famine. But I want you to always remember that God is bigger than that. Much, much bigger than that. And he has the power overcome any tragedy. And then this is how the verse ends. Jesus says, but before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. 
And that's where he says this great line, this will give you an opportunity to testify, right? So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. And then he says, but not a hair of your head will perish. And by your endurance, you will gain your souls. Have you considered what the cost is for following Jesus? Have you considered that when you follow Jesus, this is what Jesus is saying to these people who some of them may have not made the decision to follow Jesus with their lives. They're listening in. He's saying, have you considered the cost of following him? That the cost could, is, is being not liked by a lot of people, maybe all people. The cost is being arrested, possibly. The cost is maybe even dying for your faith. Have you considered that that might be the cost of following Jesus Christ with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And... This is what I would say. Sometimes people will want to do violence against you. It is because sometimes they see a good in your eyes that is more terrifying than the darkness that has taken over their lives. Just let that sink for sink in for me. The reason that people lash out against beauty when they see it is this is this is i just think it's so true because they see a good in your eyes that is more terrifying than the darkness that is taken over their lives i want to be that force for good i want to challenge the darkness i want to confront the darkness i think that we're all called to to step out against the darkness and to be bold with our lives and then this is where he finishes up he says but not a hair of your head will perish wait a second that doesn't make a lot of sense does it he just told us that we're going to die. We, that he said that some of the people would die. But by your endurance, you will gain your souls. Jesus is talking about eternity. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about the time when we will be with Jesus forever. That there will be a life beyond this worldly life that we have. That we will, that we will have the opportunity to, to have fullness of life, that our, our hair will be restored. And that's really good news for me because a lot of my hair has already been uh, destroyed. So, but all of my hair will be back and we will live full lives with Jesus Christ forever. I, I think that today is an awesome opportunity for us to think about how we're going to point to Jesus Christ. Because a couple of weeks ago, I had mentioned that you could buy a gift in the name of someone else, a nephew or a niece, right? And that that would just be a really compelling reason to get a gift today at the mission market. And by the way, the proceeds from the mission market all benefit the different mission partners that we have. But what if instead you bought your first Christmas, if some of you are a hyper planner, so you've already done all your Christmas shopping, I'm not talking to you, but you can do this also. What if you bought your first Christmas gift for Jesus? What if that was a compelling reason enough to participate in today's mission market? That the first gift that you bought of Christmas pointed directly to Jesus. And instead of sending a card to someone saying, I bought a gift for you, 
you could just alter that and say, I bought a gift for Jesus. And I did it to share with you. Think about the way in which everything that you do, the mission market could be an opportunity for you, you to enter into the mission field for the rest of the week and think about your work and how can it start and begin to more so point to Jesus and not distract away from what Jesus, uh, Jesus' purpose is in this world. There's one sentence that stands out above all the others in that scripture. And if you, there's is this, Jesus said, make up your minds. Make up your minds. He was saying, you have a decision to make about whether you're going to allow your life to be lived in in, alongside God's plan in this world. Now, this is so profound because what Jesus has been saying all through this verse is that God has a plan for this world and God's plan will take place and it will, will come true. But what he's also saying is that there's this opportunity you have to say where you make up your mind about whether you're going to have God's plan way through your mouth. He's saying, make up your minds that... that that you're not going to prepare speeches before these people, but you're going to have God's power working in your life and that you're going to allow Jesus Christ to give you the words to say to the people and the circumstances and the, and the confrontations and the difficulties that you're going to encounter in this life. That's amazing. Because he's saying he wants this whole plan to include every part, n- not, just, not just the outcome, but to take every piece, even the tragedies and all of the circumstances, and to be... To be saved for Jesus is to take all of those things and to use them for God's purposes in this world, even the dark, dark times. So leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus is, is what Jesus' solution is. He says, lean on me, lean on me with everything that you have, and you will have a power that will help you overcome. And Jesus answered them. This is, this is from John. This is another situation in which Jesus is talking about the temple. And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says in this situation, he says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And, the, and then the Jews said, The temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up. Jesus was speaking in this circumstance of the temple of his body, is what John says. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. See, Jesus said that not just the temple, the physical temple would be destroyed, but he also said that he would die and that he would be raised again. And he was. And he appeared to his disciples and he showed them the hands in his, the holes in his hands. And that's when they knew that Jesus was speaking truth that the darkness would be overcome by the light and that it was happening as Jesus said. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, you have been risen from the dead. We see your goodness. We see your beauty taking place all around us. We see your kingdom being built and we see it transforming lives of people here in this sanctuary and here in this city, and in a miraculous way, Lord, through our hands and feet as we participate in a mission market that will transform lives continents away. Lord, we pray that, that this transformation would continue and would multiply so that we could see more and more people leaning on you 
and less people saying, look at me or look at that or look out. That there would be a great trust, not in the buildings, not a trust in, in celebrity or in false, false prophets, people who claim false things, and not a trust in fear, but Lord, in a trust in you who is above all else. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.